0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan. I'm the pastor of Spiritual Development here at Pennington AG Church. I'm very excited to be preaching, talking about Acts chapter 3 today, continuing our series. We started two weeks ago in Acts chapter 1 with Pastor Brian, and then we had the privilege of having Marcus Jackson with us last week, preaching through Acts chapter 2 and the story of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. So, where I'm coming in right here in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, picks up immediately after that. So, the disciples are gathered together, have the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost, and then immediately it begins with the work of the Spirit through them in Acts chapter 3. And the story that I'm speaking from is a healing story, it's miraculous, but it's actually kind of a microcosm of how the church works and is going to work starting in the book of Acts. So, Acts is about the beginning of the church, it's about the body of Christ, and when I say church, I mean the global church, all the people that call themselves followers of Jesus. So we get to use a story like this to see what it looks like to be a member of that church, a member of that body, and what it is like to act out of that. So coming into this, we're going to be talking about three different points, um, which is being brought into the family of God, going out from the family of God, and finally what is kind of all-encompassing of that is being a part of the kingdom tapestry. So let's just pray as we begin and jump into this together. God, we just thank you for giving us time and space to spend in your word, to study who you are and your spirit at work. And ask God, I just pray, Lord, that you would open the minds and hearts of us that are reading this passage and talking about you today to everything that you want to show us about who you are and what you're doing in and through the body of Christ. pray this in your name, amen. So, the first point here is being brought into the family of God. And so we're going to read this passage from Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10, a couple times as we walk through this sermon together. And this first time as we're reading it, I want you to pay attention to and think about it from the perspective of the man in the story that's healed. And so this story is the story of a man who was born lame. And if you're not familiar with that term, it just means that he has a physical disability that in some way makes it unable for him to walk. So. He is physically disabled in that way and he is healed by um, the power of God through Peter and John in this story. So as I'm reading this just read it from that perspective and think about yourself in the shoes of this man. This is Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 in the New Living Translation it says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astonished. Acts chapter 3, verses one to 10. So being a part of the church, being a part of the family of God, starts with this idea of being brought in. And two things are happening here. He's looking for something, the man, and Peter and John look at him and look at him in the eye. So he comes in, he's physically brought to the temple each day to beg for something. And the thing he's looking for in this instance is money, is alms as some versions of this say, which is just a payment um, out of religious piety from one follower of God to another. And so he's coming looking for something. And ultimately this is how every story of us who come into the family of God or become followers of Jesus begins. It's looking for something. And more often than not, the thing that we're looking for is not God. In fact, Romans 3 verse 11 says there is no one righteous, there is no one who seeks God. So when we come into a place where we might encounter Jesus, we usually don't know that coming into it. We're coming looking for something, and it could be existential. It could be looking for purpose or questions about suffering or what is the purpose of humanity. It could be moral, looking for a moral compass outside of ourselves. It could be physical or financial like this man, or it could even just be emotional, emotional needs for a loving community, and that's what we're looking for. But we come into the family of God looking for something. We come into the presence of God looking for something and that's exactly what this man is doing here. But from there you see that he's downcast. We see that he's at a loss for hope. He needs money and he can't work because he's disabled. So he sits at this gate and he begs for alms all day long, begs for money all day long. He's not even looking at the people that are walking by. We can read in between the lines of this text because Peter and John say, look at us. So clearly He's looking down at the ground. He's not even paying attention to the people that he's begging from. And Peter says, look at us. And so immediately, a line like this, it's so easy to breeze over when we're reading a passage like this because... It's so quick, and the way that these passages are written, it's so quick to go from this man's lying here, and then they call on him, they, they ask the Holy Spirit to come, or Jesus to move and, and heal him, but they stop and they say, look at us. And it's a way of showing this respect and value to a man who in many ways probably feels kind of like an animal. He sits there day after day, unable to walk, asking for help, And Peter and John communicate this respect and love and value to him saying that we see who you are, we see that you are a human being and we want to show you value. Look at us in the eye, let us see your face and let you see our faces. We read this book as a staff over the last year and as a board as well called The Other Half of Church and it talks about spiritual formation and neuroscience. And one of the biggest things it talks about is the importance of seeing faces of how valuable it is for us to see one another's face. And it's brought up in this book through a neuroscience lens, but it's all throughout scripture as well. In fact, Psalm 16 verse 11, um, which is the end of a psalm written by David, it says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. But that line, in your presence, at the beginning of that verse, can just as equally or just as accurately be translated from the Hebrew as, at your face. So it would read, at your face there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So there's this aspect of seeing faces that communicates value from Peter and John saying, look at us in the eye, let us see your face. And at the same time, there is a spiritual aspect of the Holy Spirit using this. It's all throughout scripture. It's in that song, the blessing that we sing, may the face of God shine upon you. And so we are so grateful particularly as a church to be back in our church building together after a long year of seeing faces again and and having the joy and the gratefulness of not having to wear masks and being able to see people's full faces because we know that in people's faces and seeing them is a communication of joy, of seeing people light up when we see them and its respect and value as we see from Peter and John to this lame man here. And so, Peter and John here know what this man needs, and they know that he needs Jesus. He doesn't know what he's looking for, and he doesn't feel like he's valued as a human being. And they come and they know what he's looking for, and they communicate value by looking at him. And so, he's healed. He's walking around, praising God, jumping up and down. We get the sense he's kind of like trying out the miracle, feeling like, oh, did this work? He's walking around, leaping around. And in fact, Um, the message translation says that he's walking back and forth. And when I first read that, I kind of laughed thinking about someone like at a footlocker trying on sneakers for the first time and they're running around like, I'm faster in these ones than I am in my old ones. And um, it's just kind of like a funny idea, but it's something that we definitely would have done if we were in his shoes of walking around and testing out this miracle um, and praising God, leaping. He's never left before in his life, so of course he's going to be jumping up and down. And so he goes into the temple walking, leaping, praising God, and he's with Peter and John. And in fact, the verse after the passage I read in verse 11, it says that he's clinging to them, holding on to them. So Peter and John come in, they know he's looking for something, they look him in the face, they look him in his eyes. And he encounters Jesus and he encounters people that care about him, encounters people that see the image of God in him. And so what gets this guy praising God and what gets him into the temple is meeting Jesus and meeting people that look him in the eye. And ultimately, it's a story about a physical miracle but it's really also a story about how all of us come to know Jesus and how all of us who are members of the family of God come to become members of the family of God. Meeting Jesus and meeting people that look us in the eye. And that's what brought us here, that's what brought everybody who calls himself a follower of Jesus into this family. Meeting Jesus and meeting people that look us in the eye. And maybe you met Jesus without another person bringing you, but once you become a member of the church, it's God's grace and people that look us in the eye that keep us there. Mr. Rogers, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood fame, used to do something whenever he won an award or um, had an acceptance speech, and he would say this, Take a moment to consider the people in your life that have cared for you and wanted the best for you in life. And so I want us to do similarly here for just a moment. I'm going to give us all about 10 seconds to sit here and consider the people that invited you into the family of God and invited you by looking you in the eye. And if this is your first time hearing a message like this, if this is the first time that you've ever experienced talking about Jesus like this, Just take this moment and consider the people in your life that have loved you and cared for you deeply and respected you enough to look you in the eye. And consider the fact that Jesus loves you even more than that. We are brought into the family of God by the loving arms of our Heavenly Father and the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. But we're also brought into the family of God by His children, by the ones who are already seated at His table and can say to us, would you join me? There's more than enough room. To be a part of the church, to be a part of God's family is to be brought in, to be brought in by Jesus and by God's children. And so we have this idea of being brought in, but the next piece of this is going out. And so when we're brought into the family of God, we then are sent out as members of the family of God. And I'll clarify here, there's a moment where you're brought into the family of God for the first time, and you might have a moment in your past, in your history of becoming a Christian, or becoming a follower of Jesus, and you can think about it. Um, and distinguish that moment by itself. But in another sense, we're brought into the family of God repeatedly. Every single time we come to worship together as a community, every time a friend ministers to us just by encouraging us of who Jesus is and who he's called us to be, every time we pray with one another, we are being carried to the table of God by the arms of our Father and by the arms of our friends. And so it starts our journey into becoming a member of the family God, a member of the church, we start as this lame beggar at the beautiful gate, but then we are Peter. But once we become followers of Jesus, we take on both roles. You don't lose one. You don't go from the man at the beggar, the, um, the man begging at the gate, to becoming Peter. You take on both roles. We minister and we're ministered to. We are carried and we carry. We are brought in and we go out, all by the power of and grace of God. So we're going to read this passage again and this time I want us to think about it from the perspective of being Peter or John in this moment. So Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10, again read this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astonished. And so coming into this, we have being brought in as the man at the gate, and then we are going out as Peter. And so there's three things to this, the image of God, the power of God, and the patience of God. So first is the image of God, like we talked about just before, they look him in the eye. Peter looks this man in the eye and says, look at us, we value you. We see that you are a human being, that you are worthy of love and respect and dignity. And the more we look at God ourselves, the more we are able to see the image of God in other people. So they see the image of God in him, they value that, and they also know the power of God and believe that he can do the miraculous. They know that God is not uninterested in meeting this man's financial needs or physical needs, but He is far more interested in meeting his spiritual needs. They know that if they were to give him money right now, it would help him today and might help him tomorrow. And we see throughout the Acts Church that they do do things like this all the time, but they know that it will not be enough. They know that this guy has a spiritual need that is far greater. There's a story in John chapter 4 of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at the well. And he says to her, there's a lot that happens in that story, but in verses 13 and 14 he says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Peter and John know God's desires to fulfill spiritual needs more than anything else. And within that as well, they know the power of the Spirit. They know that Jesus told them in the upper room. They were in the upper room the night before Jesus was crucified and he said to them, You will do greater things than I did in my name by the power of the Spirit. And just before this in Acts chapter 2 they have the Holy Spirit come upon them to give them power to become their witnesses, become Jesus' witnesses throughout all of these regions. So they have a sense of the urging of the Spirit, the same Spirit that indwells us right now that's working through their spiritual gifts and giving them urging in this moment. And so these two things, the image of God and the power of God, just to start, are dependent on each other. When we see the image of God in other people, we know what the power of God is for. It's for his children. It's for the people he's created to give them dignity and love and respect the same way that he sees them. And vice versa, when we believe in the power of God, then we know that when we see the image of God in other people and we see that people are broken and hurt and in spiritual need or physical need or emotional need, that God has the desire and the capability to do something about that. To fulfill them and give them strength. To change them. And so the first two points, the image of God and power of God are very spiritual and the only way to sense them more in other people and to see the image of God and believe in the power of God is just to have encounters with God ourselves, to be in his presence, worship, pray, and see that he is who he says he is. But The last one here is patience and it's super practical. Peter and John here, and this is something that's just implicit in the text, are aware of their surroundings. They are aware of what is happening. They see the man, They see that he's downcast and they are quiet enough and slow enough to not be distracted and sense the urging of God's Spirit in them to do something and respond. And so there's this story, there's this famous study from the 1970s at Princeton Seminary and what they did was basically they had a bunch of seminary students um, in a room together in a building, and they had them prepare to go to another building for a different purpose. And um, it was to either preach a message on the Good Samaritan or to um, involve themselves in some other study. And so the study was basically to see if they would act as a Good Samaritan. So as they were walking from that building to the next building, there was a man hurt lying draped across the path. And so they had a bunch of different variables they controlled for how religious the people called themselves or believed themselves to be, what they were preaching on, and finally, how late they were, if they were coming early to that next building or late to that next building. And so after they did the study and did all the research, there was one thing that determined whether or not they helped this man. It wasn't how religious they were. It wasn't if they were even preaching on the Good Samaritan about, in about five minutes. It was if they were late or not, if they were hurrying or not. And so Peter and John are an example of this. They're coming into this and it's just implicit in the text. They're not late because they're slowly walking, seeing this man, letting the Spirit urge them to do something, hearing the voice of the Spirit. They're not rushing into the temple. They're in the moment, looking around. They're not on their cell phones because obviously not. And they are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them and through them. And I'll say, just as we're talking about this idea of the Patience of God, this is hard for me, particularly. I love the feeling of having a packed schedule, of running from one thing to the next. It's great. In fact, it's addicting to feel busy and to be busy. Not overly busy, but just busy enough. It makes me feel important or makes me feel like I'm accomplishing a lot. But I know that when there's enough white space on my calendar, that I'm not in a rush to get from one thing to the next that is when I have a much better sense of the Spirit working in me and prompting me to do things. I remember a simple story and it's kind of silly but I think that's the purpose of it. Um, just a few weeks ago I was taking a Sabbath and when I'm, on, when I'm taking Sabbaths usually I'm away from my phone or my phone is on airplane mode. and so. Um, It was towards the end of the day, I was getting ready to uh, get back into things Um, and I went to the grocery store just to grab a couple things and I remember just as I was walking in there, I didn't have my phone, I didn't have anything with me, I just had such a greater sense of all the people that I was passing that they were image bearers of God. And I know that it sounds kind of silly or odd, but I was just looking people in their eye and seeing them as human beings that God loves and that are in need of Jesus. And I just had this sense from the Spirit, a sweetness. In this sense, from the Spirit, that these are all people created in the image of God and deserving of love. And when I'm in a rush and when I'm on my phone, I tend to think I'm kind of the protagonist of reality or pro- the protagonist of the life that I'm leading. And when I'm not, and when I'm slower and more patient, I see that people are made in the image of God and see and sense the Spirit's urging in me. So. When we go out as members of the church, we need to see the image of God on other people. We need to believe in and trust in the power of God. And we need to be patient and walk in the patience of God. So we have these two things being brought into the family of God and going out as members of the family of God. And you need both at the exact same time. You have to have both. God wants us to be brought in and going out. If we're just brought in, then we're denying God the ability and the power to work through us to minister to other people. And on the flip side of that, if we're just going out, we tend to forget that all of this is by the power of the Holy Spirit, that all of this is God working through us. And we have a sense, even if it's subconscious, that we're Jesus, that we are the ones at work here. So we need to be relying and being brought into his um, presence more and more and more and more. So finally, just this last point of coming in after being brought in and going out Um, Which just kind of encompasses this whole thing as being part of the kingdom tapestry, and so what does this mean? Is that the joy of this is that being brought in and going out both are gifts. There's passages in scripture that that support both of these. In Isaiah 40 verse 11, it says this of God that He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and He carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. And then the idea of going out, Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To be carried is a gift. To have God lift us from the miry clay and set our feet on the rock, as the psalmist says. When friends and loved ones minister to us, it's a gift. It keeps us going. How many of us last March and April, when we were quarantined at home, made more phone calls and FaceTime calls than we ever had in our lives because we needed to be encouraged and needed to feel the presence of people that loved us to keep us going, to pick us up. And to be carried is a gift, but to carry is a gift at the same time. To be an active participant in what God is doing in the world and to make it more like the Kingdom of God, which may at times involve seeing physically miraculous things, but much more consistently than that, will involve us seeing spiritually miraculous things, that God's Spirit can lift anybody from the depths of despair and give them hope. Being grateful to be alive, as the hymn says, knowing that life is worth the living because He lives. And so, being a part of the kingdom of God, being a part of the tapestry of God's kingdom, is just an amazing thing. Amazing thing. And where does this story end? It ends in praise. Praise of God, by the man that is healed and the implication of it is by everybody else in the temple also praising Him. We're just going to read this last verse again, verse 10, to close out. When they realized it was Him, they were absolutely astonished. The people realized it was Him. So this man that's been sitting at the gate all their lives, unable to walk, is jumping and leaping and praising God. And the people are thinking, him? That's who that is? That's the guy that's been sitting at this gate, unable to walk? He's jumping? And this verse is reminiscent about so many other verses in the New Testament. There's a story of the Gerasene demoniac, if you haven't heard that. It's a story of a man who's living among the tombs and has a demon in him. And Jesus cast that demon out. And so once he does, the people in the town are like, him? That's the guy that's been living among tombs and possessed by a demon? Because he looks like an entirely different person. And there's the story of Paul, which comes up later in the book of Acts, where he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and becomes a follower of Jesus. And previous to that, he was a persecutor of the church. He was at the stoning of Stephen when Stephen died. And so people say, Saul, Paul, that's him? That's him? That's the same guy that was persecuting the church. He's now talking about Jesus. And finally, Jesus himself who's crucified and lying in a grave for three days is resurrected and walking around and people are saying him? That's the man that died? That's the man who says he was God and died on the cross? These moments of seeing people who were in a state for a long time God can change in an instant. We have so many stories in the Bible where people are saying him or her? There's no way. There's just no way that that person has changed in that way and it's the greatest measure of God's love. I think of one of my favorite verses in any song I think is one of the verses in Joy to the World where it says this, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. And So how far is the curse found? The curse is found in a man who's been lame his whole life. The curse is found in a man who is possessed by a demon and living among the tombs. The curse is found as far as a man who's been persecuting the church and killing Christians. The curse is found as far as a man who was God that was nailed to a cross and had been laying in the grave for three days. And God uses these stories to show us that his blessings flow that far and further his blessings flow to the most sinful, to the most broken, to the most evil of all circumstances and people. He wants us to see that he is capable of having blessings flow to the furthest reaches of the curse of sin and death. And so when we're carried to the table and when we go out and carry other people to the table of God, we are participating in and becoming a part of the kingdom tapestry that God is weaving together, his blessings flowing as far as the curse is found. And when we're carried to the table of God, we see glimpses of his goodness, his richness, his mercy, and his love. And when we carry others to the table of God, we see glimpses of his power, his far-reaching love, and his mercy. And so it's just a joy to be a part of this kingdom tapestry and see that God is as good as he says he is, is as loving as he says he is, and that his blessings flow, his love flows like a river as far as the curse is found. And we sit in this moment, we sit in this life, seeing glimpses of how good God is, seeing pieces of how good God is, we see his richness through a crack in the door. But at last, that door will be swung wide open, and we'll see with full view and full vision how good and merciful and loving God is. And we will see the entire tapestry of the kingdom of God that he has been weaving together. And so, As we close out, I just want to take a moment for us to meditate wherever you are to be comfortable. Sit in this place and we'll just put our minds on how good and how rich God is. First, just the idea of being brought in. As I read in Isaiah 40 verse 11, he carries the lambs close to his heart. Just sit in this moment for a second and rest on the fact that God wants to carry you. God wants to hold you in his arms, and he wants to do so as well through real human beings to carry you emotionally and spiritually. And next, the idea of going out, bringing other people to the table of God that it is a joy to see God work spiritually through us and see people lifted from the miry clay and their feet set on the rock. And finally, to see the tapestry of the kingdom that God is weaving together everything for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, that at the end of time, we will see the duration of the history of the universe is a testimony of God's goodness, His glory, and His love. And if you're watching this sermon, if you're a part of this service from Pennington AG, and you just don't feel like you've ever experienced Jesus in this way before, or you feel like the Holy Spirit is just tugging on you, and a lot of times in moments like this, it's not something we can say concretely what's happening, but we just have a sense that God is doing something, or the Spirit is doing something in us, and is calling us to know him. And so if you're in that moment right now, as you're listening to this, um, and you feel God at work, but you've never had a relationship with Jesus before, I just want to take this moment and pray with you and just pray along with me as we do this. God, we just thank you that you love us, that you're gracious and merciful, and that on the cross you nailed our sin and shame, that it is gone and dead forever. And when we believe that, and when we put our weight on that, and when we put our weight on Jesus, You show us the richness, and we get to see the beauty of your love and your grace. Thank you, God, that you loved us while we were yet sinners, and love us beyond that. pray this all in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Pennington AG Church. We are so grateful that you are a part of this community, and I just pray that it was an encouragement to you wherever you are to know that you can lean on God, that he wants to carry you, he wants to see you be a part of his kingdom, and he wants you to see the tapestry of his love and grace being weaved together. Thank you.